my environment had been clubs, excess, drinking, debauchery, sex, drugs. And my environment changed to a group of humanitarian doctors and nurses and surgeons who were giving the best of themselves in service to the poor. So I went into this completely healthy environment where the new norm was selflessness. The new norm was virtue and courage and tenacity and hard work in the direction of others, in the direction of serving others. And today we're going to get 4,000 new people clean drinking water for the first time in their lives. And we're going to do again tomorrow and again the next day and again the next day. Now, I want that number to be 40,000, but it's, it's now significant. You know, the eight and a half million people we've helped, it's more than the population of New York City and all the boroughs. Let's build a culture of giving. Let's give because we can, because we want to, because it's a blessing, not out of guilt or shame or debt or obligation, but because it is a, an amazing opportunity to share our blessing with others. That's Scott Harrison. And this is the Ritual Podcast. The Ritual Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's the word? How are you guys doing? What is happening? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. This is a podcast. It's my podcast. Welcome or welcome back. It is indeed an honor and a privilege to spend a little high quality time with all of you guys today. Real quick up top, I wanted to let all of you know that due to popular demand and many, many, perhaps countless requests, the podcast is now finally available on Spotify. Spotify, yes, very exciting. You can find a link in the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com or just search Richroll Podcast in the browse feature on that platform. For those of you that have been on this podcast ride with me for a while now, you probably know that a little over a year ago, I sat down with Scott Harrison, the founder of an organization you might have heard of called Charity Water. That was episode 305 from last July. Please check it out if you missed it. It is definitely one of my favorite episodes. And over the course of that two-hour exchange, Scott held me, and most likely you, pretty much spellbound with his extraordinary yarn of personal and global transformation. This is a guy who, at 28, seemingly had everything, had it all. He was a top nightclub promoter in New York City, and his life was essentially this endless cycle of parties, drugs, booze, models on repeat. And he was very successful in this regard. But about a decade in, he found himself broken, uh, desperately unhappy, and, and essentially morally and spiritually bankrupt. And at his bottom, he asked himself a very simple question. What would the exact opposite of my life look like? And he ended up walking away from everything. He sold everything that he owned, and he spent the next 16 months on a hospital ship in West Africa. And that experience really delivered him to what I think is fair to say is his true calling. In 2006, with absolutely no money and zero experience, he founds this thing called Charity Water. And today, 12 years later, This organization has raised over $300 million to bring clean drinking water to more than 8.4 million people around the globe. It's truly extraordinary. Along the way, on top of all of this, 
he essentially reimagines and reinvents giving altogether. He ditches the old antiquated model that, that, that basically feeds off guilt to get people to give and creates this new model and this brand that inspires people, that gets them excited, that prioritizes transparency, that fosters a deep, very real connection between the donor and the results of every donation, 100% of which is funneled directly to water projects. And not only has he been wildly successful with this organization, playing a huge part in reducing those without clean water from about 1.1 billion down to 660 million, essentially having this big problem that we have, he also essentially changes the entire landscape of giving and charity altogether. In any event, that was a very profound conversation for me, and I would imagine for many of you as well. It was the beginning of a great friendship that I now have with Scott, as well as a partnership. Uh, Scott inspired me to donate a portion of my income to Charity Water every month via the spring, their monthly subscription service, which is something I've been doing for over a year at this point, something I also encourage all of you guys to look into as well. And on top of that, he inspired me to dedicate my 51st birthday to raising funds for his organization. And the goal of that campaign was to raise $51,000. But together, we ended up raising $68,285, which was amazing. It was such a thrill. Not to mention all the money that was raised by people listening to the podcast and signing up for the spring. I think the tally comes out to uh, somewhere in the $200,000 range. So it is amazing. And I thank you again for that. And yet there's so much more to Scott's story and the story of Charity Water. So picking up where we left off last July, Scott today returns to the show for another incredibly moving conversation, including a discussion of his new book, which is called Thirst. It's incredible. It's a must read. It debuted on the New York Times bestseller list last week at number seven, which is amazing. Congrats. All proceeds of which go right back into Charity Water. Of course, right? That's who Scott is. In fact, when you buy Thirst and forward your receipt to unlock at charitywater.org, you'll also unlock a $30 donation that will bring clean water to one person. So that is awesome. In addition, it just so happens uh, serendipitously, honestly, I didn't plan it this way, but yesterday, today's Sunday, October 21st, but yesterday on October 20th, I turned 52. I appreciate all the kind and gracious birthday wishes that have been streaming in. I love it. I feel great. I feel strong. And, you know, my life is an embarrassment of riches. I, I need for absolutely nothing. So once again, inspired by Scott's example, I am moved to leverage this occasion of my birth to do a little bit of good by helping bring clean water to those in need. But this time, the goal isn't $51,000 and it isn't $52,000 and it's not $68,000, it's $100,000, 100% of which will be deployed to provide clean water projects to over 3,300 people for the very first time. Projects that will save lives for basically generations to come. So specifically, uh, this is my call to action and my request. I am asking 
that each of you donate $1 for every year that I have been drinking clean water, a pledge of $52. When the water projects are complete, Charity Water will then send all of those who donated photos and GPS coordinates so together we can experience up close and personal the exact community that we impact. And I can tell you that this experience is priceless. Uh, the goal, $100,000, is ambitious. Uh, I cannot do this alone, but... With your help, I really do believe it's totally doable because together, this community that we have built alongside each other is very powerful. Together, for the basically the price of a night out at the movies, we really can save lives and positively change the world. So to find out more, please, please visit my campaign page at my.charitywater.org forward slash richroll my.charitywater.org forward slash richroll. The campaign will remain open through the end of December. And of course, I'll put a link up in the show notes uh, so you can easily find it. And please consider a donation, whatever you can afford. And I thank you in advance. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt technology, technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, 
gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. All right, thanks you guys for hanging tough. Scott Harrison. You know, Scott is, he really is one of my favorite people. He is an incredible example, perhaps the best example of anybody that I know of what can happen, the extraordinary things that can happen, the impact and the sense of purpose and fulfillment that one can have when life is redirected from self-serving to selfless service. So picking up where we left off last July, this conversation recaps previously unexplored aspects of Scott's amazing story. It's about the progress made by Charity Water in the last year. We discuss Scott's new book, Thirst, which recounts the twists and the turns that built Charity Water into one of the most trusted, disruptive, disruptive in the best way, uh, innovative and admired nonprofits in the world. Uh, We talk about the role that Scott's faith has played in his journey. Uh, what charity really means to him, the fulfillment and sense of purpose that goes hand in hand with service, uh, the power we all have to make the world a better place, and perhaps most importantly, why none of us should fear work that has no end. I love this man. I love his mission. I'm proud to support the work of Charity Water. And my hope is that this conversation will both inspire and empower you to do the same. So, If that's the case, once again, please go to my.charitywater.org forward slash ritual and consider donating to my birthday campaign. So together we can get clean water to as many people as possible who are most in need. Here's Scott. This is uh, for San Francisco, yeah. right? 500 yeah. people, and then all the content is shot specifically in 360 just for the gala. So oh, we, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a three-hour screening tonight of all the content. Whoa. But it and should be really special. What's the venue? It's the Armory. It's a 40,000-square-foot yeah, 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 huge yeah. I got the invite. I'm going to make it space. happen. Come with your dog again. Yeah, I think we're going to do it. That'd be fun. So cool. Just top up and... 
It's funny. This was actually the, this wasn't ours, was it? Uh, we sent an hourglass so. out as the invite oh, to the well members. Oh, cool. It was, it, it, the, the whole gala concept is called the gift of time. Uh-huh. Where we're always gonna, like next level with like the marketing stuff, man. Well, we're going to track the, so we're going to, um, I'll let you in just a little bit on the insight. We'll, we're going to fund, crowdfund a drilling rig for $700,000 uh-huh. in the room. We're going to put everybody's names on it that donates anything, call it a hundred bucks. And then I'm going to put up a calendar of the next four years and say, great, we have a rig. Now let's run it uh-huh. into the future. So every year is a million bucks. Wow. So we're going to sell units of time. Uh-huh. So I'm going to sell a drilling day, a drilling hour, uh-huh. a drilling day, three drilling days, which is a well, a drilling week, a drilling month. And as you buy time, we're just going to see this calendar, you know, start filling out. Right. And what we're also going to do is we're going to, we're actually quantifying the amount of time that you'll be saving women. So as you buy oh, time, that's cool. that's it's a, turning into yeah. a multiple because we've got the data now. We've been mm-hmm. interviewing in these villages. You it's know. a completely different way of thinking about the impact, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not just dirty waters becoming yeah. clean, but the time that women are saving. What would you do with millions of hours? Right. The whole uh, um, gender aspect of the work that you do, I think, is something that, that, that people don't realize until they become educated, the impact that the water has on education and female empowerment. Yeah, it's it's real. It's It's real. uh, Women and girls, really women and girls only when it comes to water. Right. Because break that down a little bit. I mean, basically, traditionally, the women are responsible for collecting the water. And this involves hours and hours and hours of walking each way to a well that's... A well, far, it's not even a well. That's the problem. Right. It's a it's a, a swamp. Where... It's a pond. It's a river. It's often brown, viscous, dirty water, mm-hmm. and you know the they're they're at risk of animal attacks. You know, we hear stories of women getting attacked by hyenas. They're at risk of rape. You know, as they're far away from home. Um, if you're a woman and you're giving birth, you've got to give birth away from home at the waterhole. Right. So you're you're effectively camping out because you need the water. Uh-huh. And you know, so not only you know when we're able to bring clean drinking water into a village, not only are we eliminating that walk, therefore reclaiming you know all these these hours every day. Imagine getting five hours back in your day, yeah. every day, seven days a week. So it's yeah, the downstream impact of that can't even be measured because it translates into education and job, mm-hmm. you know, working and being productive in other ways. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. There was a UN report that um, that was released that they tracked the economic impact of water. So, you know, look, we've said we know water makes people healthier. Fifty two percent of the disease throughout the developing world, or what some people would call the third world, is actually because of bad water and a lack of sanitation. Um, but the UN wanted to see, you know, what about the economics behind this? So they found every dollar that you invested in clean water and sanitation yielded a four to $8 return. Wow. So water made people wealthier. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was money not spent on medicine. So if you're not sick, you're not headed to the clinic. I remember one of the things that used to surprise me was learning that the impediment for so many of these people is actually getting to the clinic. When they get there, the drugs are often affordable and subsidized, but the taxi to the clinic could be a month's wages. So you don't have it. Right. So your kid dies in the village of diarrhea, something yeah. completely preventable. So I just, I love the idea that by, by bringing clean drinking water and sanitation into villages, you're actually making, you're improving the local economy. 
you're, you're measurably lifting people out of extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it solves a battery of problems at the source. Speaking of the source, uh, the last time we, I guess we got together, it was probably a year and a half ago. And that was right on the eve of you launching the spring. Yep. And in that, this past year and a half, your, your community was gone, so helpful. <laughs> has gone on to become super successful. And during that period of time, you wrote this book that just came out there. So congratulations on that. Thanks, Rich. Super exciting. Thanks um, for having me back. <laughs> I'm about, uh, I'm about, I don't know, 50 or 60 pages into it. I'm, I'm right at the part where you hook up with that DJ that you used to employ at various nightclubs across Manhattan who had found faith in a certain respect. And that guy kind of becomes your, um, he becomes like this, not mentor, but kind of like he ushers you into a new way of thinking about who you are and what you do. It's like a pivotal character. Yeah, there are a couple really important guides or, or mentors. Um, I, I would have said at that time he was a he was a mentor, even though it was a brief uh, brief time of counseling um, that really moved me in the right direction. Yeah, um, it's funny, Doctor Gary, who you'll you'll meet later in the book, um, it becomes really my first guide when I go to Liberia mm-hmm. in Africa, um, and. You know, his, his story was so amazing. He had, he was a surgeon from California, from this area actually. And he had heard that there was this hospital ship that surgeons could join and they could operate for free on people without access to medical care. And he signs up for three months, right? I I can, Uh I can leave my practice behind for three months. And when I volunteered and set foot on the ship, he'd been there 21 years. Wow. They never left. He's still there. Wow. I think he's on year 34 mm-hmm. or 35. So there's a bunch of these characters, you know, throughout the book that just um, confirm to me that I'm on the right path, that this is a life worth living, you know, a life of service. Imagine giving three and a half decades. He just never went back to his practice. He uh-huh. never went back to making money and, and you know, buying the, the cars and, and doing all the things doing all that the things. we've been told since youth are... Uh, the, the markers res- of the, success, the recipe of not only success, but, but being happy and, and living a fulfilled yeah. life, which, uh, we know intellectually, uh, is not the case. And yet it, it's so difficult for us to wrap our heads around a different way of living. And I think of all the people that I've met, you are not just a shining example of the power of service to transform life. I mean, you might be the best example of anyone I've ever met of somebody who, who weathered a dark night of the soul and then was able to channel that experience into not only changing your own life, but having this monumental impact on millions of people across the world. Like I, I, I was thinking like, do I know anyone else who's had a more profound impact on the planet than, than you and the work that you do? And I, I don't think that I, I don't think that I have, it. I don't think, I don't think I do. I mean, it's really mm. remarkable. And when you were last here, we tracked your whole story. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on that because people can go and listen to that episode. We do it at once. And it was like two hours. <laughs> it was. Um, but the show has grown quite a bit and not everyone's going to go back and listen to that. Yeah. So I think it is worth kind of recapping, you know, some of the highlights there sure. to contextualize what we're talking about. Sure. Um, you know, I think my 
my, it's interesting. You get a little different perspective too when you write a book. When you uh-huh. spend two years, you know, and write one hundred fifty thousand words, which became well, you, you know, start to understand your story in a different way. You and you're do. Like, oh wait, I forgot that thing ha- was really important. Yeah, and you find the threads that connect everything. Mm-hmm. So I think you know my story was three acts. There was act one, which was uh, growing up in a very conservative Christian home. Uh, my mom became an invalid when I was four uh, after a carbon monoxide gas leak in our home. And this was a shock to our family. She almost dies. Uh, a faulty heat exchanger had caused the the problem. And I, I'm, I'm instantly thrust into a caregiver role as a four-year-old. I take care of mom. I'm doing the cooking. I'm doing the cleaning. I play piano every Sunday in church. I, I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't sleep around. I don't smoke. Uh, so that's act one. <laughs> act two, 18 happens. I discover New York City. Uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's actually probably most, most close to the parable of the prodigal son where I just flip everybody, the bird, Uh flip my parents, the bird, I flip the, you know, the church, the bird and say, now it's my turn. Okay. I played by the rules. Now I'm going to explore the other side. And I moved to New York city. I felt like, well, if you want to rebel in style, I heard that there was this job called a nightclub promoter where you can get paid to drink alcohol professionally. So the thought of being a professional drinker was, uh, was appealing. And, you know, at 18 years old, three, eight, three years before I'm even allowed to be inside nightclubs, I just start climbing up the social ladder of New York. I want to be the king of New York. I want to be the guy spraying the champagne over the crowd from the top of the mezzanine or the DJ booth. And, work at 40 different nightclubs over the next 10 years. So 18 to 28 is kind of a blur. Start with smoking, then drinking, then the drugs, then the gambling, then the pornography, then the strip clubs, then this just kind of descent into hedonism and debauchery and uh, degeneracy. Yeah. And, and I'm going to interject from time to time, but apologies for that. Hmm. But what I realized, like I knew it was, I knew you were a baller nightclub owner and I knew you were partying pretty hard, but, but what I gathered from from the book was, was, uh, you know, as somebody, you know, who's explored that terrain myself, um, it was, it was darker than yeah. I suspected. And you were, you were deeper in that hole than, than I thought. Like you, you tend to kind of, you tell your story a lot and, and you, know, you're, you don't shy away from some of these details, but in the book, you really drilled down on like what exactly you were doing. Yeah. And it was, it was heavy usage. Yeah, it was really heavy. Um, it's funny, we have these conservative donors in Chicago who are a little older and they just read the book and they, uh, reported back to our team and they said, he was so much worse than we ever thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if they had given it. Uh-huh. Um, boy, it was, uh, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't overselling the darkness. Yeah. I, I think, um, and that's one of the reasons I really wanted to write the book was, um, was to show people that there it's never too late, right? Your past doesn't need to define you. And I think as you get in, you know, get through kind of section one or whatever, you're like, wow, that guy's way worse right. than me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, were, I mean, you he were, could be sitting on ritual <laughs> talking are. about, you know, clean drinking water for the world. Uh-huh. I mean, my chances are good <laughs> at, at turning the page. So, you know, I have this, this section two of my life, this kind of dark period and, and, and just well, hold on a second. Yeah. All right. So you do, so, you can go there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You know, there's the there's the part where 
you know, your partner ODs on heroin, and then you've got this bouncer who is threatening your life and with showing up at your house yep. with a gun. You know, like this is it was. You know, it's very cinematic. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, and and I had health issues, so I don't. You know, again, when, when you are able to write a book, this is a long form. You know, it's uh-huh. kind of like a ten hour podcast, right? So I I I really remembered that part of the, one of the big things going on was just my, half my body went numb. Yeah. So after ten years of partying, I just I started to break down. And what's what's so interesting and very uh, literary about that is is how it symbolizes the numbness of the soul, mm-hmm. right? Like your body starts to go numb, but the, it's really this spiritual malaise that's True. come upon you. Yeah. And in some ways, it was a betrayal. Um, the true me, I think, was the caregiver, was the kid who wanted to be a doctor growing up to help sick people like my mom. Um, it was the kid who had a faith and who had a deep sense of virtue and morality. So this was really the, you know, the, and, and what I love in that prodigal son story, like the, the prodigal son goes halfway across the world, gambling prostitutes, and then he winds up, he runs out of money and he winds up at the end of himself. And he says, I want to come home. Mm-hmm. The servants in my parents' house are treated better than the condition that I'm living in now. And you just get this sense. There's like a longing to return to, like he was wrong. You know, he, the, the exploration had led him to a really dark place. And, and that's how I felt. But, but there, the darkness is this incredible teachable moment, right? It's almost like, I mean, do you think that you could have created what you've created without exploring the dark side. Like you had to test the boundaries of your faith to really understand Mm -hmm. who you are, you know? And so when I see people who are venturing into that, like we're like, oh, we gotta pull him out of that. We gotta like help him, you know, he's going wayward. And it's like, well, maybe not so fast. Maybe that person is on their journey and they need to explore what that's like in order to fully understand um, you know, who they are. Like it's, these are divine moments, yeah. I think, and we're yeah. quick to judge them, but they can ultimately be, I mean, you're an incredible example of how they can catalyze a life well-lived. Yep. I agree. Um, you know, and I was lucky to get out. So not everybody gets out. You know, yeah. there were, there were people that, you know, had gone wayward and then overdosed. Mm-hmm. And then died. We, I've and, been to a lot of funerals. Yeah, so you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that we should be, you know, encouraging. <laughs> like I, no. I, I needed, I think I needed more yeah. of those positive voices. You know, it's interesting. So I, for those that don't know my story, I wind up quitting everything at 28 years old and walking away from that lifestyle and asking myself the question what would the opposite of my life look like? Not a pivot, not a 20 or 50 degree shift. Cause I actually tried that for a few months, this kind of one foot in one foot out. What would it, what would the clean break look like? And you know, the guy with a gun chasing you right? was a perfect and, moment. And it was exactly. And the clean break looked like go to the poorest country in the world, post-war Liberia, become a photojournalist on a humanitarian medical mission, and then quit all the vices in one go in one fell swoop. And, you know, I, 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 it's funny. Somebody asked me recently, um, they said, so, so many people are struggling with addiction and struggling with trying to, to change their life. Um, what I realized actually just this week was one of the, one of the really important things was I changed my environment so radically. 
my environment had been clubs, excess, drinking, debauchery, sex, drugs. And my environment changed to a group of humanitarian doctors and nurses and surgeons who were giving the best of themselves in service to the poor. So Mm -hmm. I went into this completely healthy environment where the new norm was selflessness. The new norm was virtue and courage and tenacity and hard work, you know, in, in the direction of others, in the direction Mm -hmm. of serving others. And it just looks so good. I mean, I I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I mean, I didn't want to go down off the ship and have a cigarette, you know, (laughs) next to the, you know, with the engineers in the engine room. I I wanted to really embrace this, this new lifestyle. It looked so much better. Mm -hmm. So I think that really helped me never go back because it was, there was one night where I smoked three packs of cigarettes. I drank a ton and I just, I walked away from it. You know, I haven't had a drag in 15 years. I, um, I haven't touched Coke or any of that stuff. I haven't gambled in 15 years. I haven't looked at a pornographic image in 15 years. Like I, I really made a clean break. And for me, I felt like I could turn the page and start over. I mean, it really felt like a do over at Mm -hmm. 28. Mm -hmm. If I, had the, if I could actually get rid of the crap, if I could kind of leave the detritus. And there was something so beautifully symbolic about this ship, this 522 foot hospital ship crammed full of amazing selfless people. And I would leave all of the, you know, the nasty crap on land. I would walk up the gangway and I would sail away to a new continent and into a new life. Uh Uh-huh. There was just something so yeah. beautiful about that idea. The cinematic aspect of this <laughs> continues to unfold. Um, these moments, I'm super interested in, in them and, and how they work. I mean, I think on some level, we're all, you know, all of us, everybody is visited with moments like these, moments of self-reflection that if we're aware enough and we have enough willingness can be transformative. Um, but I think it's a fun, you know, it's like you were able to do it for others. Those moments may come and pass and they don't have mm-hmm. the wherewithal or the, the, uh, the, the degree of presence of mind or whatever it is to actually activate on them. Like, what do you think? I mean, was it just desperation? Like, what, what was it about you in that frame of mind that, that allowed you to really grab that rope? and make that change? I think I just caught a vision for a new life, what, what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I met, I, I mentioned Dr. Gary earlier, just, just even hearing about someone who had changed his life, right? I mean, going on the plastic surgeon track to then in 20 some years on a ship, that level of commit, commitment, that level of, level of dedication, I just found it so inspiring. So I had this role model. I had a new role model. So if the previous role model was maybe the richest club owner, right, with all the girls and all the drugs, the new role model was uh, a a great humanitarian, right? Like I met Albert Schweitzer Uh (laughs) or Mother Teresa. And so I I think I got a picture of, I also got a picture of how my skills might be useful in in a very different context. So what I was good at was promoting promoting things, promoting parties, really. I mean, to be successful in nightlife, you have to get people to turn up at your club versus other people's. Uh-huh. And you have to the spin right this story. The right people, right? And that's, that's often really beautiful girls 
and really rich, <laughs> rich people, mm-hmm. you know, rich guys, really, who want to hang out with the beautiful girls. And that was the whole scene. We called it models and bottles. Models and bottles were the two elements. And if you did those two things, you could sell $50,000 of alcohol in a couple hours. Right. And there would be, I remember people would come in and drop 10000 on their Amex. They wouldn't even open the champagne sometimes. Yeah. They would just buy it. So to be successful at that, I was telling a story that if you got past the velvet rope, if you made your way into the right table and you sat with the right people and you spent all this money you know, showing off your wealth then your life had meaning. Mm -hmm. And that was the wrong story. But I think I realized in that moment, I'd be able to tell a redemptive story, a story about people like Dr. Gary Parker, a story about the people that he was operating on, that he was saving the lives of. And I could tell the story to the same people. You know, I had this club list of 15,000 emails. Yeah. And back then, you know, the open rates were like- But the rich guy's like, well, what about the models? So, so th- I, I think I was surprised. Sure, I got I got some of that because the 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 list went from getting invited to an MTV party or the opening of the Prada megastore in Soho to pictures of horrific facial tumors, cleft lips, cleft palates, flesh eating disease, leprosy, and and then the the answers to these maladies. Mm-hmm. And sure, some people said, hey, take me off the list. That's gross. I didn't sign up for, you know, Liberia 101. But I was surprised at how few people said that. I, I, was, I think I was really struck by how people said, this is amazing. I want to help. How do I give money? How do I sponsor the next surgery? How do I become you? I remember this woman from Chanel wrote me once, and she said, tears are just streaming down my face. It's, it's lunch hour. People think that I've lost a family member and I just can't stop uncontrollably sobbing because I feel so moved by the suffering and these amazing mm-hmm. doctors that are meeting that suffering. Mm-hmm. So I think I learned that, uh, that those same promoting skills could be redeemed in an instant. Yeah. And I could tell stories that mattered. Yeah. So when you're, when you were a club promoter, you develop this email list. And then when you segue into the work that you now do, um, it was an interesting time where email marketing was just beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you were able to convert this list from one interest to another uh, and take advantage of the fact that at the time you could get essentially a hundred percent open rates. Yeah. Your, you your doing, content you know? was being read. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless they unsubscribed, they uh-huh. were, they were getting it right. and it was such visual content too. I, I, I think I understood early on that I just heard something, um, yesterday, which uh, I think it's one of the best quotes I've heard in a while. And it's from Carl Jung and it says, transformation is only possible in the presence of images transformation is only possible in the presence of images. And I didn't know this at the time, but my instinct was to show and not tell. So the emails were super visual. I took 50,000 photographs that first year on the mission. I was just running around with my camera saying, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's a little boy with a big tumor. Here's the doctor in surgery operating on his face. Here's the little boy without the tumor being welcomed back into his village, surrounded by a hundred friends and family who are celebrating his, his return to life and to health. And the images, the stories that were going out were driven by these photos. The words were almost second. And I think this it just, it really worked. You know, so many charities, I think, convey the problem through statistics. 
you know, if, if I tell you or anybody, Rich, 663 million people today are living without clean drinking water. You look at me with that face. You just can't. <laughs> it's I mean, like, it, I can't conceive of it. What's the difference between 663 and a billion right. or 200 million or 20,000? Exactly. It's, hard, it's exactly. just hard for the human brain to really comprehend. So that's why these stories and these images, if I open up my laptop and I said, hey, here's a child that I just met a few weeks ago in Malawi, and this is the water that she's drinking, and this is what her mom looks like, and this is her house, and this is her school, and this is how far her school is from the house. And actually, she can't go to school because she has to go mm-hmm. get dirty water. And she's been sick six times this year, right? It, then, then you're immediately drawn into it. Um, but... You know, I found that it was one thing to talk about dirty water and it was another to show it. And it just moved people in a visceral way. Um, so, you know, a lot of things were just happening. At the, I was just exploring, um, could my email list be used for good? And so maybe those 10 years of debauched relationships weren't wasted after all. Maybe they could be redeemed. Maybe the skills of promoting, I could promote something completely different. I could promote something meaningful. I could promote radical generosity and compassion and empathy. I could promote clean drinking water for the world. So I was just making all of these discoveries Um, without that much perspective at the time, it was just doing stuff. It was just a flurry of activity. Right. I mean, you have this light bulb moment that that water is what's behind. You're 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 with all these doctors. They're treating yeah. all these horrible conditions, and you you begin to understand that these conditions are all downstream of one fundamental problem, which exactly. is that these people don't have access to clean water. If we can focus on the water problem, then we don't need stadiums full of people with tumors yep. growing on their faces. That's right. That's right. And, and it begins really with, like, what I love about it is it just begins with one well, mm-hmm. right? Like, you take, you come back to New York, you throw a party, everybody's That's the only thing I knew how to 20 do. 20 bucks in a Lucite <laughs> box, and you build one well. It's almost like a, 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 I don't know if you had a grand vision at the time as to what this could become, but just executing on, like, one task as proof of concept. Yeah, and then you do your next, and then you do your next, and then you do next, and now there's 29,000. I mean, did you have an idea at that time that this could be what... I mean, do you have perspective on what you've built? When you when you think about Scott, you know, 15 years ago or yeah. 12 years ago. Well, you may not like this answer, um, but at the beginning... And, and, and this almost, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I felt like I had a vision and I could see the end. And the end was the day on earth when everyone has clean water. So I could see the problem. Why wouldn't I like that answer? Well, because most people, um, so, so most people are saying, um, hey, one of the questions I get a lot is, hey, we're 12 years in, we've raised $330 million and we've helped 8 million people get clean water. And, and the question I most often get is, um, wow, Charity Water has been so successful. Did you ever think you'd do all this? Did you ever think right. you'd be so successful? And the real answer to that is this, I thought we'd be infinitely more successful. This is a fraction of what I imagined mm-hmm. at the beginning. We have done so much less than I think we should have by now. I really thought it'd be billions. So, so, so it's a. So I did have the vision at the yeah, beginning, yeah, yeah. and okay. it did start with one. I didn't know that it was going to work, but I, but the intention was I am going to give the rest of my life to try and end what I see on Earth as the biggest problem facing people, which right. is the lack of access to clean water. And then I'm going to start with one well, and then there's two wells, and there's five wells. But I did kind of, you know, I, I'm moving towards 
this day when we all celebrate victory. It's a party, actually. Mm-hmm. It's a party at the end. It's the party when the entire world the has entire. clean water. So when you started, it was 1.1 billion. Yep. And now it's at 663. Right. Yep. So it's you, about you, halved. You and other people, uh, other organizations have essentially halved this. Even as population growth has grown. A decade plus. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a lot more awareness. So, so and, but you feel like you should be further along. Yes. <laughs> Are you good? Are you kidding? Yeah. It's clean drinking water. I mean, Charity Water gives away 100% of all donations, you know, to So I I'm just I'm I'm sometimes baffled at how we have been unable to move the trillions of dollars that are just sitting in bank accounts and donor advised funds that are that are helping no one. And we have not yet been able to tell compelling enough stories to move that money to helping people get clean drinking water. In your in your <laughs> mind is the biggest roadblock storytelling? What is what is the impediment? It's moving people from paralyzing apathy that that is so easy to embrace when it comes with these huge global issues into action, into hey I could do something. Mm-hmm. And I think we have been pretty good at that by telling the stories of a 9-year-old who's donating their birthday to raise a couple hundred dollars and a few people get clean water or an 89 year old at the end of her life, you know, who's giving from her pension because, you know, she wants other people to live to be 89 and have that same chance. I mean, I would say that you have been masterful in that. I mean, if you can just continue to scale what you're doing, the problem is inevitably going to be solved. And I think fundamentally what Charity Water has done with your stewardship is not only completely revolutionize and change the face of what giving is and looks like and and how it engages the donor. Uh, But it almost functions more like a studio, like a Hollywood studio than like UNICEF, because what you trade in is storytelling. Like Mm -hmm. you're working on the emotional impact that you can have on on the public by doing this amazing job of telling the stories of the people that are impacted and engaging the donors on a level where they really feel like not only are they making each individual is making a tangible difference but they're engaged they're engaged in the process and they're engaged in the result yeah i, I think storytelling you know if we had to keep one thing and go back and do it all over again i would take storytelling over the 100% model i would take storytelling over you know the photos and gps and all the cool tracking stuff charity water does I think that's what moves people. You know, that is the, that is kind of the, and that's what I, I teach other social entrepreneurs. You have to be able to go and tell true stories that matter. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people want to help. I and mean, we talked about the last time we were together. So many people look at the suffering around the world and they say, I wish I could do something. But then there's this lack of trust. There's this, I don't trust the system. I don't know how much of my money would actually get to those people. You know, I I don't know that it's going to make an impact. And there are all these barriers. So we have been through the Charity Water business model trying to break down those barriers and say to the cynic, say to the skeptic, take another look. Because I actually believe people are depriving themselves of the blessing and the joy that comes with giving. by, by all those excuses. Right. So I, we just haven't done enough of it. I mean, yes, we've gotten yeah. over a million people and they've given generously from a hundred countries. I really believe the best is yet to come. 
So I think in in year where we we just finished twelve years of charity water, I actually do think the best is yet to come. I mean, today we're gonna get four thousand new people clean drinking water for the first time in their lives, and we're gonna do it again tomorrow, right. and again the next day, and again the next day. Now I want that number to be forty thousand, but it's it's now significant. You know, the eight and a half million people we've helped. It's more than the population of New York City and all the boroughs. You know, we're, we're starting to add up, you know, seven states worth of people in impact. Wow. And it's 178th of the global problem. Mm-hmm. So you put eight and a half million into the current 663 and 178th. Like that sounds better than one 1,000th, right? Yeah. Like let's do 78 times more. Let's invite 78 times more people to participate. Um, let's, you know, let's invite more people to the party. Uh-huh. <laughs> You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Backtracking to, to how you kind of conceptualize this at the outset, I think what you said is, is, is very true that there are so many, it's, it's now changed in the last decade, but when you, at the outset of Charity Water, there's this tremendous distrust about charitable organizations. It hasn't changed that much, by the way. Hasn't? The data hasn't changed really? that much. I mean, you know, outside There are of, many better charities. Like a lot of the are, young charities that have started have adopted these values right, of transparency. Well, they've, yeah, they basically, you know, mocked your your value system and your, your, your model, maybe not the 100% model, but the idea of creating transparency yes. between donor and results has certainly been implemented across the board with great success. And I think that's changed the face of how people give and how they think about giving. But your idea at the beginning was like, 
okay, let's not bombard people with statistics and guilt. Mm-hmm. Let's create an inspiring brand that gets people excited and want to participate. And let's inject them with that feeling that you have, which is what it feels like when you're of service and you give. We're all walking around, you know, uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses and, you know, get that salary bump so we can get the new car. And we're chasing the dragon on this illusion of the American dream when the truth of what we're actually seeking, which is fulfillment and purpose and and, and happiness and joy is is available to us if if uh, we can just make that leap of faith into what it feels like to 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 give right and it's almost like you rescued that away from a broken system that is almost predatory in how it makes us feel badly about ourselves to one that inspires people and and shares this sense of, of what it what it what it actually feels like when your life is in devotion to the betterment of others. Well said. That's that's so well articulated. I mean, that is that is the vision. You know, the mission of Charity Water is to bring clean water to people on earth. And that's a very clear mission. Mission is accomplished when no human being on earth is drinking dirty water. But the vision is actually much softer. It's 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 some of the things that you just said. It's to um, to bring people back to the true meaning of charity. Charity means love. It means to look after your neighbor in need and get nothing in return. And I, I was so upset that that word, that this, it's become tainted for so many people. And charity is a bad thing, not a good thing. Like we need more love in this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, look around, <laughs> right? We need more people agreeing to agree on serving others, on ending needless suffering, of using our time and our talent and our money to to help people, to improve the world. And I just thought that the way most people, most charities approach this was wrong. Like you said, it was shame. It was guilt. It was, um, you, you have too much, you know, you you should even, even the the language giving back, I loathe this language giving back. Um, you hear it everywhere. It's like in the lexicon now, right? Oh, I'm giving back. Oh, our company's giving back. That, That makes it sound like we have pillaged and plundered to such extent that we should finally throw a few scraps down to the poor. Yeah. Let's give a little bit back. So right? what if is I that? snatch something, you know, if I take your phone out of your hand, you're going to say, give it back. Right. Right. Why don't we drop the back? We should just, we should frame giving in the positive. We are just giving. Let's build a culture of giving in our family, in our company, maybe in our faith community. Let's give because we can, because we want to, because it's, it's a blessing, not out of opportunity or sorry, not out of, you know, um, guilt or shame or debt or obligation, but because it is a, an amazing opportunity to share our blessing with others. And I actually would love to get people addicted to giving. You know, it's funny, my, my, my ambition right now around money, and I'm 43, I've got you know, a beautiful wife and two kids, but my ambition around money is to give more away, is uh-huh. to personally give more away. Yeah. Someone, and I, I write about this, someone <laughs> many years ago wrote a million dollar check that changed the game for Charity Water. It was an inflection point and it took us from the brink of insolvency 
because we hadn't we yet worked about out that our, last time. Yeah, yeah we hadn't worked it story. out. But I want to do that for somebody else. Yeah. Like I, I just have this dream of one day. I don't know how I'm going to do it on a charity salary, but one day I would love to walk into someone else's office, a young social entrepreneur, and not just give them advice, okay? Because I can give a lot of people advice, but I would like to actually. So, so that's the ambition. Not the house in the Hamptons. Not the Mercedes or the Tesla. You know, not the vacation. You know, the Four Seasons, and. That that's really true, you know, and, and in some ways it's freeing because I'm I don't feel trapped yeah. by not have you know the next like the minute I would get the Tesla I'm sure I'd want a better car, you know, or the minute I went on that vacation well somebody went on an even nicer vacation or stayed at the nicer hotel on the island, right? So there's it, it's been so freeing twelve years ago to just step off of that rat race and think about think about how I can be useful yeah. how I can be a vessel. I think. Uh, people would think of you or who don't really understand you or, or, or what you do or somebody similar to you as like martyrs, like, oh, you know, they're like, like you're, 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 you're flogging yourself in your hair shirt every yes, day, not like you know, that, you know that. <laughs> because, you know, you can't stand the suffering of others, but you're one of the happiest people that I know, right? Like you're, you're a living example of how great you can feel and how good your life experience can be when you're when you're in that mode right and yeah, the fact that your driving ambition is to give <laughs> is to give more like uh, you're in a place right now you've how much have you 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 guys 300 yeah, yeah okay 330 million i don't know what your salary is but it's a charity salary i would imagine that if the board of Charity Water came to you and said, listen, Scott, like, let's just double your salary. You're doing a great job. Um, that the donor base would celebrate that. They're like, Scott should be, you know, getting paid more. But knowing you a little bit, I would imagine you would just like give that away, right? Like you we, wouldn't even keep it. Well, we give, <laughs> so, you know, we give 20% of our uh, income away. Right. I, I so believe I have to be the whole, biggest giver. Right. So you're even of the salary that they give you when everything that you do is for the charity, you're still giving it. Does that, does that go back into charity water or do you give some, to other organizations? Some, it's, it's funny. We, um, I, I had them pull the numbers recently. Just, I was like, well, I'm, I might get some really hard questions about like, do you give to your own organization? And since we started, we've given, my wife and I've given 185,000 of our salary back to charity water. Uh-huh. And, you know, so that's 18 wells, which is like right. a total joy to be able to do. So we give to our local church, we give to Charity Water, we give to other charities. There's probably 20 other organizations we support. Um, but we're fine. It's not a martyr. I live in a, you know, in a 1,200 square foot, two bedroom, you know, really nice apartment in New York City, seven minutes from my office in Battery Park City in Tribeca. Um, I drive a Kia Sorento that's a lease. I love my Kia, right? It's got the two car seats installed in the back. Like we, we, we have... Food on the table. We have, um, you know, I fly coach. That sucks. I'm, you know, 43 and I'm six foot uh-huh. one. Um, 14 hours on Air Ethiopian is is not a fun experience. But you know, there that that's like that's the worst of it. Like that is the worst of it. Mm-hmm. So we have these amazing. I mean, uh, it's just an amazing life. Like I get to. I've been to 69 countries. I've been to Ethiopia 30 yeah. times. I get to. See, I get to. I get to preach a message of generosity, of, of trying to invite people into something really beautiful for them, you know, invite them into transformation through selflessness. You know, one of the things I talk about 
you know, the end of the book is this idea of work that has no end. And if, and if you can, you know, for me, it was, it was selfishness with no end. It uh-huh. was accumulation with no end. You know, it was, it was more girls, more drugs, more, you know, cars, things, watches, better clothes. And for the last 12 years, it's been more for others, uh, more, uh, more resources, more time and more energy spent to try to make the world a better place to try to help people who have nothing, you know, who are truly suffering. And that is a never ending work, but I've just come to embrace that. And I think that, you know, I love the one well idea that you brought up because it did start with one and then there were five and then there were 10. And it's, it's like that Nietzsche quote of, you know, the long obedience in the same direction. One day, if you just keep showing up, you turn around and you're like, oh, wow, there's 29,000 wells. Right. And, and, you know, check in, like maybe I come back on three years and like, who knows what that is? Or maybe some other amazing things have happened because you just keep showing up. And, you know, that I, I, I think we're at the beginning. You know, I think like this is... This is the beginning of the journey. I hope that I would be able to put in 30 years like Dr. Gary Parker and look back. I mean, think of how many surgeries he's done now. Yeah. And you probably signed up for a few surgeries. Oh, I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to fix a couple cleft lips and cleft palates, and I'm going to go back to my practice in, in California. And I'm going to make a lot of money. And, you know, has it been tens of thousands of people he's operated on now who never would have gotten an operation right. had he not said yes, had he not answered the call? Do not fear work that has no end. Yeah, it's I love a rabbinical. That. It is. Saying, it comes right? from an obscure yeah. rabbinic text. Somebody took a picture of that quote outside of Bodega ten years ago in New uh-huh. York City, and I just, I love that. It's like the call to, um, you know, infinite giving. Right. I think. Along the way, there's been these amazing kind of examples of of almost divine providence, and I, I think the the most sort of crystallized. Examples of that are kind of how you went from office space to office yeah. space, where at the last minute, somebody would come in and, and like these problems would get, so, these seemingly impossible problems would, yeah. would get solved through the generosity uh, of people inspired by the work that you guys are doing. And there's stuff I couldn't even write about in the book because it would feel too creepy. I mean, you know, my editor is like, because I would, I mean, I look, the, the we talked about this last time. The organization is not a religious organization. It never has been. Um, I, I, you know, pray. I, I have a just a, I guess, a non-denominational kind of Christian faith. And um, I have seen so many direct, clear answers to prayer. I mean, we had to take it out of the book because it just felt, some of this stuff just felt like too over the top. But there was a moment when we didn't have an office space. We were working out of the Soho loft. My old club partner was just raging all the time. And you know, he would bring people back that would do drugs. And I was sleeping on a closet floor when Charity Water started. Mm-hmm. And I go up on the roof and you know, I'm, I'm just praying. I'm like, God, we need to get out of here. Like, we need to get out of here. We didn't have money. We, we could barely afford an office. And I finished praying. And at that moment, I check my BlackBerry. And someone has just sent an email about an office space that they'd heard we were looking. And no lie, Rich, I can see it from the roof. Uh-huh. I can see our new office building. Uh-huh. It's five blocks away. So there are all these just crazy stories um, where, you know, we have had, you know, when, when we're on the brink of bankruptcy in year two, and the organization is going to become insolvent and I'm shutting down charity water and there is no more charity water. I'm praying for some sort of miracle. And, you know, a, an atheist, as, as it would happen, walks into my office, sits with me and writes a million dollar check. Complete right. stranger. It's insane. 
you know, and, and like, so it, it's just, it's, it, it's been really cool to see. And, and these little confirmations I think have just said, you're on the right path. You're on the right path. Keep, keep showing up. Mm-hmm. Like this is what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you, you found your purpose or your calling or just don't, don't give up. Don't quit. Yeah. And don't compromise, you know, your values. And that's one of the, the lessons, you know, in that story in the book, you know, before that million dollar miracle gift, um, we, we could have done the wrong thing. We could have borrowed a huge amount of money that was in the account for the water projects that we'd promised the public we would never touch. Right. Like the fidelity to the, the value system and the integrity. And I would imagine as you, as you grow larger, there's perhaps temptations to divert from your core values because of this, that, or the other sort of compromise that you could make. And, and, and even perhaps justifiable in that, you know, the end would justify the means, but how do you, you know, maintain that, like focus on the principles that launched it from the get go? We've made it cultural. I mean, this it's, it's so black and white. So there, you're, you're absolutely right. There will be a decision. It's like, Hey, well, um, so we had, we had, um, so, so part of the money, you know, coming in from the spring is also, um, able to be used to repair, um, projects and bring them back online, right? Like a rehabilitation of a well is, is the same as a new well for us in our mind. But, you know, somebody said once, well, hey, we're, um, we need to go and build some sensors, which are going to help us track the sustainability of these projects. And we said, no, nope, we can't use that money. Got to go raise it separately. Mm. Because the 10-year-old girl who's doing five lemonade stands wants to give new people clean water, not work on a technology that's right. a little more abstract. Now, you could argue that sensor is going to let us know when the well breaks, we're going to send a mechanic. Like it is mm-hmm. all in the service of clean drinking water flowing. But we just said, oh, let's just go raise that separately. Writing let's that just... letter to that little girl saying, like, and it actually might be okay. This, the but... little girl might be like, hey, yeah. great. You know, I, I paid for a sustainability program, but we just, we keep coming back to, you know, let's, let's try and make the hard decisions. I mean, credit card fees, like it's insane that we pay back credit card fees. I mean, this does not make sense. Right. If you give a hundred dollars a month on your Amex and I get 97 a month, which is what we get, we pay back the $3 every single month and we send your intended hundred. Yeah. Now you wouldn't expect us to send more money than we actually got from your donation. But we said, well, we don't right. feel like we can say a hundred percent if it's 97%. Just running a perpetual it's, deficit then. Yeah. So those, the, the 130 families mm-hmm. that pay for the overhead pay back those credit card transaction fees. It, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars now mm-hmm. just to make up the difference. But we wanted to be able to just stand up there and say a hundred percent means a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, faith is a huge part of, of who you are and it informs the work that you do. And it's an interesting arc coming from, you know, a relatively evangelical upbringing to, you know, losing your way and finding mm-hmm. your way back. And, and you're relatively open about that aspect of your life. Although you're, you're, you're always careful to kind of not know, preach. Yeah. Like <laughs> not, not preach and, and just make sure that, you know, your message is non-denominational in every regard. But I appreciated the fact that in the book, you, you, you go into a little bit more depth about that and how important it is to you. So I'm interested in, in how you think of like, how you think about faith and that aspect of, of you know, how you came to become this person and, and how, it, how it does, you know, inform your work and continue to kind of propel you forward. Yeah. 
Well, I think at 28, I rediscovered, you know, the teachings of Jesus or the, the, the personhood of Jesus in a very different way. Um, and he was a lot more exciting with fresh eyes. He was a radical. He was a rebel. Mm-hmm. He was more like me in that he was, you know, rejecting the oppressive religious establishment of the day and saying, hey, let's serve the poor. Hey, let's be pure. I mean, you know, he was calling the religious leaders, you know, whitewashed tombs, snakes, you know, uh, all these horror. I mean, he was just constantly offending them. And I think that's what I had taken the most umbrage to growing up was the kind of the religiosity. You know, it felt oppressive. It felt rules-based. It just felt like all the things I wasn't allowed to do. Like, you guys are just, you're putting me into this box. So I think having then done all those things, found... Um, certainly nothing but but heartache or brokenness in those. Um, coming back, I was so taken by the purity of Jesus. I mean, he was above reproach. He not he just refused to play into the system of the world. I mean, he had no earthly possessions. Yeah. He was living from place to place and but, speaking truth to power in this kind of oh, very like, you know like as Rob Bell talks about it, like it's very punk rock. It's very like rage against the machine. Yes. Have you been to? Have you seen his? Um, his Christmas show that he that he does the new one. No, he was just no, uh, we were just together recently, and he was talking about it. Awesome. I heard it's yeah, awesome, but it's all about kind of the things that you were just mentioning. Yeah, and then but Jesus spends so much time talking about the poor, and he spends so much time with you know the the outcasts, the people that know that that would walk by his parables. You know these the parable of like the good Samaritan just spoke to me. The you know I was the guy walking by. I was the guy that never had time. And, you know, Jesus is celebrating the person who stops and who picks up, you know, the person lying in the street and checks them into the hotel and puts down the Amex and says, I'll just cover all the expenses, you know, until they get well. So I just found the opposite of my life, um, the opposite intention of my life, so compelling. And, you know, I, I, um, I have a, I guess I've, I have such a pattern now of, of praying expecting an answer and then getting an answer that like my prayer life is just, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I it's believe immediate. somebody's listening. I believe yeah. I'm talking to somebody and, and they are hearing. I mean, there was a story we couldn't write about in the book. I just, I remember we were in the middle of Northern Ethiopia and I don't think I've ever told this story before. Um, but I was with Vic. We weren't married, uh, at the time. And we were in this this really kind of bad hotel at the top of the hill. And we were all, it was New Year's Eve in Ethiopia. And they're on the Julian calendar, which is fascinating. So it doesn't line up with December 31st. And we, we go out for um, pizza the night before at a restaurant, get up in the morning, and we're about to fly back. And Vic can't find her passport. And actually, she can't find her bag. And it turns out her bag was stolen. So I send the rest of the group, there were 10 other people back home. I cancel my flight and we are looking for her passport. Now our local partner is kind of, he's the man in Michele, Uh Ethiopia. So he gets all the cops to turn up. They start knocking on the doors of the known criminals in this town, you know, hustling them, searching, you know, because this is a a huge offense when a foreigner comes in and has Mm -hmm. their possession stolen. It was her wallet, her camera, and her passport. And... So I just start praying and I'm like, God, show me where the password would be. I kid you not. I, I, I feel like I can just see where it is. And, um, I, I feel like God says it's under the bushes behind the hotel. <laughs> oh, no, come on. So I'm like, I'll be right back. 
and I take one of the guys with me and I crawl kind of over this fenced in area and there's a big bush and I walk behind it and her bag has been hidden under the tree. Oh my God. And we got on the next plane and what had happened was they think one of the workers had stolen it, had then gotten Uh scared right, to be caught with the contraband as the cops flood this hotel. So they ditch it under their bush. So now, what do you, I can't explain what do you that. make of this? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like sorry. direct channel to God? <laughs> no. Believe me. And so many prayers have, have gone unanswered. I just, um, I just lost my mom to pancreatic cancer mm, four months ago. And I was, um, I was praying until the end. I was praying for a miracle. Um, I had pastors, uh, you know, people in, in my faith community around the world praying, um, and it, God took her, you know, I mean, it, it was, she, she died in, in hospice and four months from diagnosis, uh, to, to, to death. So believe me, um, as, as great as that is like to find a, you know, to find a wallet under a bush, um, or, and, and I mean, there are just so many examples, um, over the years that again, I, I didn't want to like put into the book cause I don't want to freak people out uh-huh. <laughs> and, and think that, you know, I'm completely nuts. But, yeah, but or, I do or, believe, or make it like a religious text that yeah, then becomes inaccessible for somebody, and they lose they lose the they lose sight of what it is that you're actually trying to say here. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries, all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. But I think there is something really compelling about this idea of looking to the example of Jesus, who was this amazing badass, who was able to like embody these ideals that we all aspire to, but fall so short of, and to say, well, what would it be like if I actually tried to model my life Mm -hmm. after his behavior? Like, forget about all the trappings of religion religion, and just like, well, this guy did this, 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 and this, and this is how he behaved, and this is how he interacted with people. Like, what would it actually be like if I tried to do that? And then you really have done that and your life has changed dramatically and impacted people all over the world. And you're not like walking around barefoot, you know, in a, you know, in a, in a beggar's robe, like you're living, you're a modern guy living in the modern world in New York City. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, inspiration that we can take from that example of what it's like to just be like, I keep going back to this, but like to be in this mode of, of, of giving and service and, and exuding love and approaching situations from a perspective of how can I contribute to make this better as opposed to what can I extract out of this to accumulate for my own, you know, to account for my own inadequacies or insecurities. Well, the, the last thing I'd say about faith was just, um, you know, Jesus always talked about the kingdom, like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. There's just this language all through, like bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And the nice thing about the last 12 years of my work with Charity Water is that even though it's a completely secular and non-religious organization, um, I feel like I get to bring what I imagine the kingdom would look like 
to earth through clean water. Because I know that in and, and heaven, right, everybody might have a different opinion of what that might look like. But I know pretty much everybody would agree in heaven, no one's drinking dirty water. Mm-hmm. Like dirty is illegal mm-hmm. in everyone's version of heaven. A, a girl walking eight hours with 40 pounds of disgusting river water on her back getting raped during that walk, illegal. It's not happening. So in like the, in the most basic theology, I get through my work through my you know, non-evangelical work, really, that involves Muslims and Jews and atheists and Hindus and Buddhists and Mormons. Like I get to, you know, people of all faiths, people of no faiths, Republicans, Democrats, independents. I get to create this huge tent, but my theology of helping people get clean drinking water uh-huh. is in line with the work, which is a really freeing thing. And I think because um, you don't have to do what I do on a Sunday or pray to the God I pray to, to work at the organization or give to the organization. And in fact, most people don't, um, that's almost given me a freedom to say, well, this is what I believe. And this is my story. And it's been funny just reading the reviews on Amazon of the book. So many people are like, I would never read a religious book Uh and I'm Jewish or I'm an atheist, but it was okay. Mm-hmm. It was okay. He didn't try and convert <laughs> me. He didn't try and preach. But it's not a religious book. Uh, it isn't at all. It you isn't know? at all. But, you know, for anybody, like, I mean, I talk about prayer and, and some of these, you know, some of these moments of answer to prayer or or how I tried to re-experience faith. And, you know, some people like anything having to do with faith is just completely taboo. Right, they just, but it was just interesting of seeing people like, of- it was okay. Give him a pass because he didn't preach. <laughs> normally. And normally, yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm telling you, if you read the reviews, it's funny. It's like, normally I would never read anything with any religious overtone, but, it, you know, there's a big but. Well, and I think that, that speaks to, in the same way that we, you know, we have this crisis around giving and charity, the same can be said for our religious institutions. Um you know, if you were to say, you know, oh, you need to give back or, you know, UNICEF is knocking on the door, you're like, Ugh, you know, really? Um, similarly, for a lot of people, just saying the, the word religion or Christianity or G-O-D or any of the, these things um, Conjures. provokes, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, per, you know, provokes a, 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 an emotional reaction that's wed to some childhood experience mm-hmm. or, or, or something like that. And, and in many ways, you know, the best of what faith-based organizations have to offer, you know, could use a little Scott Harrison rebranding <laughs> in certain respects, you know? Well, certainly the transparency would be foreign <laughs> yes. for, for a lot of them, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, where are we at right now? We, we're, we're at 660... Still in need. Still in need, How and the spring has grown. Yeah. To, so your your community so it's was been so a amazing. Year and a half since since that started. There are now thirty twenty nine thousand people from one hundred and four countries, um, including countries in Africa, which makes me so happy. Uh-huh. So there are people that are given monthly to the spring from Africa that have heard about it. Um, it's interesting. And we should just com- say spring is your monthly subscription yeah. where people so just So Netflix give, for right. clean water yeah. or Spotify mm-hmm. for clean water, 100% of, of what people give monthly 
goes straight out the door, um, provides clean water, we're then able to share stories of impact. And that, that has been, that, that's the future for us because the drive-by one-time gift or the one-time birthday doesn't help you solve the water crisis, right? Someone listening and says, oh, I'm going to give a hundred bucks once. I got to go find the next person the next year. So getting someone um, who says, well, I think I could maybe sign up for this idea for a while. Like I could sign up for the idea of a world where everyone has clean drinking water and I can trust this organization. And, and that's again, why I would hope, you know, the, so many of our values are in that book. So you will get a sense at the end of it of who we are, um, what animates us, what values um, we really care about. And we're hoping to just build, keep growing a community of people who, you know, who will keep showing up like every month in, month out in the same way that we show up for our content, uh-huh. you know, in the same way we show up for Dropbox when we want to, you know, access our photos. Can we get people to show up for, for others, for clean water? So that's now grown 29,000 people in a hundred countries. Um, the fascinating thing is the average across the community is exactly $30 a month. Which is, what it, which is what it costs us to give one person clean right. water. Then we have kids giving it's it 10. Amazing. We have people yeah. giving it 100. But it's just amazing to see that organic average mm-hmm. is 29,000 people. Every month are getting 29,000 new people clean drinking water. And that's the number I want to add a zero to. It's a great model uh, for, for a lot of reasons, uh, but also because it solves a, a dilemma that I know that that you have historically faced every year, which is that start no matter over. how much money you raise in a year, you got to start over from zero. And after, January one was a dark know, day. Ten Rich. years of doing this, at some point, you know, working eighty hour weeks, like it's going to catch up to you, and you're going to burn out, right? Like, so I know you've kind of uh, butted up against the edges of, yeah. of, of what that feels like. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about that too. I, I <laughs> for for years, people were. Um, saying that I would burn out. And I'd be like, I'm still here. I did 98 flights last uh-huh. year, 150 speeches. Look at me, not burned out yet. And it, it, took, uh, it took about nine years. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and there was a, a really dark moment where um, I did, I did want to quit. And um, I, I managed to come out of it. And I, I actually hope that writing about that experience, in fact, other social entrepreneurs have told me, uh, other entrepreneurs in general have said, hey, I felt there, I've been there. Um, the way that I came out of it was, was realizing that I had put so much of my personal identity in the success of the organization. So when Charity Water was doing well, I was doing well. And Charity Water had done well for eight consecutive years. And then the ninth year when we didn't do so well, when our donations dipped for the first time, Scott didn't do well. Mm-hmm. And I became depressed and it's all my fault. And I'm letting people down. I actually felt like I'd, I'd let hundreds of thousands of people down because we hadn't repeated the success of the previous year. We hadn't grown. And there was a, there was a really um, important time and, and lesson that I learned, which was, okay, I am more than my organization. You know, I'm a, I'm a father of two, I'm a husband. And actually in that year, Outside of the money that we raised, it was our best year. We didn't compromise our values or our integrity. We pushed sustainability forward. Um, our team had a great year. We hired some extraordinary people that we onboarded. It's just we didn't raise as much money. So that, um, that kind of led to me saying, all right, I'm not going to quit. Um, I'm going to come back. 
and um, I'm going to try and launch the spring and actually solve this problem, which is we are too big to start at zero every January one and just and invite people to show up with us on a, on a longer term basis. Yeah. And your, your community, That's again, cool. was so uh, helpful. I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I forget how much, but I think they were they, they joined at like over a hundred thousand dollars a month just well, the rich world community. This is a renewed call <laughs> action to the community out there. That, I think you still have that, a link up. That, I think I do, but no. I'm going to end this with a with another <laughs> call to action. But um, for now, I will say that if you're new to the show and you're listening to this and and you're not a member of the Spring, that you should sign up immediately. I think I do have a link. I'll put links up in the show notes to all of that, and you know, you guys can. Dig deeper in the, I'll put a bunch of other links about Scott and the work that he does and certainly pick up his book, um, or you can learn more about the amazing work that this organization is doing. But I can tell you it's been uh, a delight and a pleasure to, to be a, a, a Spring member um, and to see the engagement of the listenership of this show uh, yeah. to enggage in the work that you do. So I want to enhance that, man. Um, so uh, how many times are you going to, are you traveling now overseas to oversee the work that's going on there? Three times next year. Um, uh, it's not really overseeing the work anymore. So we have an amazing team that does that. There are 19 people at Charity Water whose full-time jobs are flying around, uh, you know, think of them out there with clipboards, making sure the work is being done with high quality, uh-huh. um, working with our partners, and then auditing, making sure the money's being spent well. So I'm typically out telling stories. Um, or trying to recruit more overhead donors, because that's a challenge. Yeah. We have a million people that have given on the water side, um, but I need to make sure that I can continue to pay for our staff and our office costs and our flights. So, uh, What's the uh, annual budget just for managing overhead? Um, about $14.5 million this year, uh-huh. and we'll raise wow. a total of 70 Mm-hmm. So we're very efficient. Um, you know, we might spend eighty-five percent of our money on programs and fifteen percent to run it, but still, that the money has to come separately. So that's not a that's not a trivial undertaking. So that's like sixty percent of your time is focused on raising money for that. Yeah, and it's an amazing community. You know, those hundred and thirty-one families uh, and entrepreneurs that are supporting the overhead. It's the founders of Facebook and Twitter and Spotify and WordPress and Pandora and um, it's you know Apple executives. It's people like Rob Bell, our friend, and people like Depeche Mode. (laughs) So it's a really kind of, and football quarterbacks. I mean, Uh it's a, it's a motley crew of 131 families that said, we got your back. We, we don't need our name on a well. Um, we want to help you hire the next hydrologist, the next accountant, the next, you know, person to, to greet people at Charity Water HQ. We'll pay for the toner for the Epson copy machine. So I'm spending a lot of time growing that community from 131 to 135 to 140. And one of the ways I do that is by taking them over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do three trips next year. I, I'm, I'm trying to get you there. You know, I keep inviting you. I know. So well, you, I you, almost you have went on that one trip. Well, this is actually, let me air this out with you because... <laughs> I had an opportunity to go on one of these trips and it looked like I could do it. And then I was like, I just, I had so much going on and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't justify breaking away to go on this trip, but I'm committed to, to doing this. Like I really do want to do this. And I'm at my own kind of moment right now where I wouldn't say I'm, I'm teetering on burning out, but I'm the bottleneck in so many things that, that Mm -hmm. I, that I'm doing that I'm, finally embracing this idea that the things that I've done that have got me to where I am right now yes. are not the things that That's are going to so take good. me to the next level. That's and so I need good. to make some fundamental changes in how I'm running this 
you know, it's a it's a very <laughs> micro version of what you're doing, but it has its own challenges. And I need to uh, let go of certain things and bring more people on to um, allow me to better scale what I'm doing and also allow me to focus on the things that are most important, not just professionally, but personally. So I can you know, have the experience uh, uh, of going on one of these trips with you. Next and, and March, I'm going to hit you hard. we got well, enough time to plan it. It's far enough away that I can plan it, and <laughs> I, I am committing to that now. Yeah, it'd be, so. it'd be great. I think I know you, and you would get so much life um, from the trip, not just from, you know, a community of like-minded givers, you know, who, who will also join them. There'll be 25 people. Um, but just meeting the, you know, for me, I just put you guys into it, and then I get out of the way. It's right. so great. Like I just it set back. The job does itself. And yeah. you're talking with the local drillers. You know, when you meet the team running an Ethiopian drilling rig of eight guys and you say, hey, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your work week like? And like, what's our work month like? We work 29 out of 30 days. We take one day off a month. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there's an eight month dry season in Ethiopia and they want to maximize it because when it rains for four months, they can't drill. So they leave their family. So then, you know, you're asking questions, right? You're interviewing them. And um, every once in a while, um, someone will come into the village and say, well, wh- why don't the people just move closer to the water? I'm like, why don't you ask the women? Yeah. So I just sat back and, you know, through translators saying, hey, how come you don't move closer to the water? And the women say, where do you, who owns that land? We don't own that land. This is our farm. This is where we grew up. So I just love being a part of these, you know, these trips as people explore as they, they're inspired. I mean, you know, there's definitely some tears. You know, if you're, if you're there at the moment when a thousand people are getting clean water for the first time in their life and you watch clean water shoot out of the ground under pressure as they flush the well, and you see the dancing and tears streaming down people's faces. It's uh, it's really emotional. It's like a it's like a picture of heaven. Yeah. Whatever heaven looks yeah. like to you, but it's it, it's an extraordinary thing to be a part of. What's one of your favorite stories from these experiences that you could share? You know, there's there's one. You know, I think I told a, a couple sad ones the last time. There's one story that I didn't get to write about in the book. And it, it's not super happy, um, but I think it, it it puts a point on the urgency of the work. So I was just talking about the celebrations. When you drill a well and you get water, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. And communities will talk about their community often as before the water and after the water. Another theme that I tease out in the book is this before and after. That's what I was doing with Mercy Ship. It was this black and white. So my life was before and after, you know, before the cocaine, you know, smoking, you know, crackhead basically running around. And now after like a, a husband, a father, you know, a, a guy who's able to lead an organization, the Dr. Gary was doing before and after, mm-hmm. right? Suffocating to death with a facial tumor. And now you're fine, you know, blind with a cataract. Now you can see. And it's the same thing with water. It, you're able to take a, a before the water, um, all the problems that we discussed to after the water. So there was one of these celebrations, and it was in Ethiopia. And normally everybody is happy. There's music, there's lolling, which is the women just shouting at the top of their lungs. And there was one woman off to the side who was weeping during this. And our our partners go over to this. She's an older woman. And they say, you know, why are you crying? Like, this this is a joyful moment. Like, look around you. And she's just, like, almost, like, consumed with rage. And she says... Do you mean to tell me 
that the water was underneath our feet the whole time. Uh. And that I spent my life walking hours for dirty water to a faraway source. And then it was right there all along. And that struck me, just that picture of a thousand people celebrating, a woman you know, on a ridge off to the side, grieving decades of suffering. And then one day a truck pulls in, a bunch of guys jump out, start sticking a, you know, a drilling bit into the ground. And 48 hours later, they find clean water and everything's, yeah. everything's fine. So that, um, that, that picture, um, you know, we, we don't want her to suffer for 20 uh-huh. or 30 years. We don't want her kids to suffer. And I think when you hear something like that, now I can better understand why you feel like you should be further along. Yeah. If it really is that simple, why can't we, why can't we accelerate this? and avoid those kinds of situations of that woman when the problem is so incredibly solvable. And we're going to try and do that. We yeah. were just talking before um, about our, our gala and, and trying to fund more drilling rigs. Um, every drilling rig, um, specifically in Ethiopia, can drill about 85 wells a year. So we're actually limited right now by capacity. We have eight drilling rigs. They're going full time. So eight times eight, you got about 640 villages, but you add a new rig, you get a new 85 villages. How much does a rig cost? Um, about seven hundred fifty grand. Mm-hmm. Wow! So and how it's, do you it's all fun. How do you make a decision? I'm about, getting fired up now. Here, thinking here. about it. <laughs> how, how do you decide? Like, okay, here's the next well. We're gonna. Do, have you identified every place yeah. that needs them? And then how do you prioritize the pecking order? So now being at a, at scale, uh, in the beginning it was just, hey, we got money for ten wells. Drill them right. wherever you want. Um, now, you know, when you're more at scale, there are plans. There are often three to five year plans for different districts um, in, in all these countries we work in. I think we're active in 17 or 18 countries this year. So there would be, there's a plan for the Chikwawa district in Malawi. There's a plan for the Rolindo district in Rwanda. There's the plan for Tigray. We know what 100% coverage looks like. Sometimes it's 60 million to go. Sometimes it's 200 million to go. Sometimes it's 14 million to go. And we're working towards that 100% coverage. So Mm -hmm. it's not a random haphazard, let's just drill a few wells. It's a clustered approach. So you bring a new well in, a new rig in, you get a new cluster in action. I see. Um, so it's really, it's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I'm really optimistic. And what are the, what are the uh, sort of political hurdles that you have to jump over? I mean, are you dealing with like, uh, you know, village politics and lots of personalities and have you had pushback and issues where you have to really figure out how to grace people in a certain way to make it happen? Yeah. People that's, that's surprised me. And I think it surprised a lot of people that, when it comes to water, we're not, we're not encountering resistance. Now, we, we have said we're not working in conflict zones, so we're not mm-hmm. working in Yemen. Um, we're not working in Darfur, Sudan. You know, we're not working in these places where there's, there's active war going on. We're not working uh, in despotic countries where the government actually doesn't want any NGOs right, to come could, in. That could but foment, that leaves us, foment a revolution. Right, but right. it leaves us like 50 countries that we can work in where the government is saying, we're doing, our, we're, we're doing our part, will you come and help? So that's the amazing thing about water. I mean, we're making them look good. 
Like, you know, do you think mm-hmm. when we come in and take one district in Rwanda alongside the Rwandan government is so interesting. They actually match our money 90 cents on the dollar. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, can't these governments give you some part of their tax base to for so you to are. then fulfill on, you know, yeah, they are. But cool. the money that they're spending is a fraction of what's needed. Uh-huh. That tax base is being first of all, it's a small amount. It's being split among roads, among health care, among energy, um, you know, power lines, cell towers water. There, there are all these different things they have to do. So we are seeing government spend money, but in, in certain cases, they are matching our dollars. So we've done about $12 million, $12 million in Rwanda, ugh, $12 million in, Rwanda uh-huh. in the Rolindo district. It's a tongue tie. And the government has put $11 million alongside ours. So it was really a $22 million yeah. program mm-hmm. over seven years. And we started it, I think around 20% water coverage. We're at 99%. Rich, like we're like we're almost there. Yeah. This district has nobody. You know, in, in a couple months, we'll have nobody drinking dirty water. Now we're moving on to the districts to the side, and we're going to start over again. So it's it's really hopeful seeing that mm. we're not seeing resistance. You know, every once in a while, you know, a mayor will come and take credit, right? Oh, my good people, yeah. you know, I have brought in the water. <laughs> um, but but, like, but okay, we don't want the credit. Do we can, actually yeah, don't want them, the credit. You know, the, the whole beauty of the business model is that Charity Water is getting everyday people to care, to act, to engage, to join this community. But the actual work is always done by the locals. Mm-hmm. You know, for the work to be sustainable, for it to be culturally sensitive and, and appropriate, it has to be led by the locals. So they get the credit. So it's amazing rolling into Ethiopia. And people don't know who Charity Water is, but they know and celebrate our local partner who's running those yeah. eight drilling rigs. One of the things that I thought um, was was most touching at the the gala in New York last winter was was that you had a bunch of those people, a bunch of the locals there, yeah. and, and you and you made such a uh, a point of you know celebrating these individuals who are actually doing the work, you know, boots on the ground. Yeah, and it's, and, and allowing they're people the to heroes. Really, like they're the heroes. That's why it's fun. Who these people are and like the sacrifice that they're making to be away from their family for such extended periods of mm-hmm. time. And you'll be, when you come in March, you'll be so inspired by them. I mean, you'll really see, we'll get out of the way. We'll just say, hey, go, go, go ask them. Tekelwani, tell, tell everybody why you do what you do. So many people uh, are living their lives feeling incredibly disenfranchised. Um, They're disconnected from uh, the fruits of their labor, uh, from anything that, that, that provides them with passion. You know, they're just trying to get through the day and, and pay the bills. And there's this um, malaise, this sense that one person really can't make a difference. Like, I, yeah, I can put a quarter in the, in the little box from whoever when I'm walking into yeah. Walmart, but like, is that really doing anything? And, and, and so I love how... Um, a big part of the ethos of Charity Water is, is, is helping people to really reframe that and to really understand that one person can make a difference, a very tangible, impactful difference. And with that comes this sense of purpose that can overcome one. And in doing that, you tell amazing stories about you know, everyone from the girl with the lemonade stand to whoever. So I thought it would be nice if you could tell one of those stories for somebody who's listening to this, who feels like, yeah, yeah I, I'm hearing everything Scott's saying, but yep. like, you know, I don't know how I could have that kind of feeling in my own life. First, let me just, I know you haven't gotten there yet, no. but you basically just delivered the end of the book. So I'm going to read the last, right, cool. um, 
the last line. You didn't even know where I was going to end, but that's it. So it says, um, you know, at at last count, Charity Water's funded more than 28,000 water projects that'll help eight and a half million people get clean water. People who will never have to experience what it was like before the water ever again. We still have so much work to do, yet every day I wake up hopeful that we will solve this problem in my lifetime. I believe that together we can bring life's most basic necessity to the 663 million people who still don't have it. I'm just one guy who built one charity, but it's made a little dent in the water crisis. Next year, we'll make a bigger dent. And this is how the problems of the world get solved, one by one, by me and you and us. I really believe that. Beautiful. Like as we you know, as we all join um, our voice together. So I'll end on a, on a story. It's a, it's a new story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in the book. Um, we were about to launch our big World Water Day campaign, March 22nd, at the organization. We had a whole campaign lined up. And then somebody opening up the mail at HQ gets a note, a little picture, um, and $8.15. And we learn it's from a six-year-old named Nora. And the note says, Dear Charity Water, um, I saw your video. And I'm sending in $8.15 because I want kids to stop bad, dying of bad water. I want kids to stop dying of bad water. And she draws a picture of herself next to a well in Africa, what she thinks a well looks like with uh-huh. clean water coming out. So Charity Water, you know, we're storytellers. Like, yeah. stop the presses. Uh-huh. Cancel the campaign. Let's see if Nora will let us put her on camera and tell her story. So we have a camera crew down in Virginia a week later. And Nora opens up her house, this six-year-old girl. And on camera, she's this precocious girl that says, well, I saw the video and I went up to my room that night and I, just, I, I asked myself the question, should I give my money or should I keep my money? Should I give my money? Should I keep my money? <laughs> and she's back and forth and it's so uh-huh. cute to hear her. And she says, so I came down in the morning and I said, I would give my money. So she drops $8.15 from her allowance and she mails it in and Ah, oh, there's so much there, right? The purity of heart. And by the way, we're all asking ourselves the, sex, the same yeah, question, the right? Same thing. Should it I give? Should change. I not? Should I trust? Should I not? So she, she comes out on the right side for her. And we launched a campaign um, around this three-minute video. And she's just, she's beautiful. She has this heart to serve others. And um, when you see her on camera, you just melt. You're like, I want to be that pure. I want to, like the simplicity, you know, back to the Bible, like, you know, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, right? We will be led by children, the simplicity of children to teach adults these, these values of generosity and compassion and purity. So um, we just told her story and we asked everyone just to give $8.15. And how much was raised? Maybe raised 80 grand in a day. Right. So that's the, it's like you know. like wells. Yeah. And she, so her seed, her vision of $8.15 turned into a thousand times more. Uh Uh-huh. And what does she think of all this? She loved it. And hopefully we'll get to take her there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully really she cool. can go and see some of that impact one day. You know, we, we do think about that. Like, how do we close yeah. the loop? But I would hope that even Nora might live her life a little differently. That, that the feedback loop, that seeing um, people respond, you know, might even encourage her to give... Of course it will. And Imagine being like, that age, <laughs> and then suddenly you're the seed that 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 germinates this yeah. amazing flower. That has to impact her and make her think. To, I mean, it had to be an amazing feeling for her. Yeah. Even it was if an she's too young for to us. really understand it. Yeah, um, that is incredible, and I think it does speak perfectly to this idea that one person really can make a change. And and I love this idea of of 
you know, unlike uh, back to this literary thing, like this symbology of like purity, is there anything more pure than water? Like taking it back to its biblical roots and the, the way that we all cleanse ourselves, our bodies and our souls through clean water, right? And that's essentially what this is all about, the clarity of purpose um, and, and the simplicity of what water represents and how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. Um, so great, let's close this down. Uh, if you could just leave us with a thought about what it means to, to live a life of service and, and, and how you think about that. And, and you know, without repeating what we've already talked about, um, what you think it would mean for another person to extend themselves in service and, and, and the kind of downstream impact of that. I, freedom is the first word that comes to mind. I mean, for me, and I can only speak for me, um, I just found such a freedom in redirecting the intention of my life um, away from accumulation and selfishness and status and you know all the things that we see on TV and on social media that we're supposed to want, that we're supposed to climb higher for. And it was just freeing to say, I'm, I'm not going to play that game. Um, and I'm going to look at the resources that I've been blessed with, um, both, you know, the resources and the talents maybe around promoting or storytelling, um, the money that I have and, and how can I use those to be a blessing to others? And I think it can start small. It can start with $8 and 15 cents. It could start with a birthday party where the first well was built and, you know, for me, I just wanted more and more and more. And the more I gave, the more I wanted to give. You know, I, I, I love that. Um, the more you give, the more you give. And I would encourage people just to step out and, you know, set the cynicism aside to give your time and you're going to want to give more time. You know, maybe it's a local charity, maybe mm-hmm. it's a, you know, something in your neighborhood, um, but dig in, you know, give your money and, and give it to an organization where you actually feel like you're going to see the impact and it's not just going to go into a, you know, into a black hole. Um, but I would hope that that would feel good and you'd want to do more of it and more of it and more of it. And the next thing you know, you look back and you say, wow, <laughs> I, I just was preparing a donor report recently for a family who'd been with us for eight years. And the, we, you know, we said, here's your total eight years of giving, here's your impact all around the world. And they wrote back and they said, we had no idea it was that much. We had no idea. Wow. We had given over a half a million dollars. I think they felt like it was less than half of that. And that's the experience, right? When you just, they were just showing up every year, giving as they could, they're giving some profit to their business. And then, you know, we're like, hey, here's your summary. You're like, oh my gosh, it's kind of like screen right. time just yeah, popped up. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I spent that much phone on my, I spent that much time on my iPhone last week. How's that possible? So I would hope, you know, in, in the positive, as you give your time, as you give your talent, as you give your money in the service of others, you do get to look back and say, wow, that's, that's a significant impact. I really have transformed people's lives and, and transformed my own life in the process. Well, you have transformed my life and uh, it's been a blessing and an honor to be able to contribute to your incredible organization, man. And you inspire me in more ways than you know. So I thank you for your service. Thanks for doing this here today. And I wanted to kind of end this by saying that this podcast, I believe, is going up on October 21. 
Um, my birthday is October 20th. <laughs> so happy birthday. Because I am the bottleneck in everything that I do and I've been spread so thin, I didn't have my act together in time to launch a birthday campaign well in advance of my birthday. So can I still launch a birthday campaign for on sure. my birthday and leave it open until sure. perhaps the end of the year or something for like sure. that? For All right. Sure. So uh, when this goes up, uh, this will serve as the official announcement that I'm dedicating my 52nd birthday to Charity Water. So I'll put up links and all the information on how you can contribute to that because I don't want anything for my birthday other than for all of you to experience what I've experienced and what Scott is speaking about, that feeling that you get when you contribute to the betterment of others. And uh, I'll be your first donor. Yeah, you got right. 152 awesome, bucks from yeah. me right now. And uh, <laughs> that's a few people spring, with clean water. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Back in your organization. Um, and of course, uh, the spring. If people want to uh, learn more about the spring, I mean, you can go to charitywater.org. Is there a slash yeah, ritual? Like there, there you go. There you go. Slash, I think that link is still live. Yep. Yeah. So charitywater.org slash ritual. I'll make sure it's live before this goes up. And uh, everybody pick up Thirst, available everywhere you buy books. It's a fantastic read. This is a huge accomplishment. I'm super excited Thanks, for man. you, man. And uh, more will be revealed. Come back and talk to me again. Cool. I will, maybe we'll do one from Ethiopia in March. That would be cool. Let's do All like right. a 30-minute pod from we'll a that. well opening, okay? Only 30 minutes? Well, like from a well Bring opening. A we'll inter- right. We could interview some local people that with translators. Be, Come actually, on, let's do that. That would actually be, be amazing. I would love to do that. And we'll see. We might even be able to get to one of your birthday wells. Okay, we'll, I'm right. going gonna to work on it. All right. Thanks, Scott. Peace. Clean water. Amazing human. That's Scott Harrison an extraordinary mission, and and really an outstanding example of a life well-lived. I simply just cannot say enough good things about that guy. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it inspired you to give more freely of yourself. And if so, a great way to start is to donate to my birthday campaign. Again, the goal is to raise $100,000 by the end of the year. And you can do this, you can assist by going to my.charitywater.org forward slash rich roll, link in the show notes on the episode page. Beyond that, you can donate monthly via the spring. You can set up your own birthday campaign and uh, please make sure you pick up Scott's new book, Thirst. It is a page turner. And final reminder that when you do buy it, forward your receipt to unlock at charitywater.org and you will unlock a $30 donation that will bring clean water to one person. Speaking of resources, as always, check out the show notes in the episode page. There you will find links to everything mentioned today, my Charity Water fundraiser page, how to get the podcast on Spotify, the YouTube version of the show, Scott's new book, Thirst, and a ton more info on Scott and Charity Water. If you're looking for a little additional nutritional guidance, check out our meal planner at meals.richroll.com. There you will find thousands of plant-based recipes, literally thousands, all customized based on your personal preferences. We have incredible customer support 24-7. We have unlimited grocery lists. We have grocery delivery integrated into the system in most metropolitan areas. And it's all available for just $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year. Again, meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website, richroll.com. If you would like to support our work here on the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify now, Stitcher, or on whatever platform you enjoy this content. 
leave a review, tell your friends, and share it on your favorite social media platform. You can also support the show on Patreon at richworld.com forward slash donate. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiello for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for graphics, for video, for editing, all the visual content that accompanies this audio podcast. My man DK, David Kahn for sponsor relationships and theme music as always by Anna Lemma. Thanks for the love you guys. See you back here in a couple days with yet another anticipated installment of Guru Corner with the always sagacious Guru Singh. Until then, give of yourself freely and watch your universe expand in magical ways. Peace, plants, namaste.